It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 246 for June 12th, 2011. That would be 612, not to be confused with the insect repellent. Recorded June 9th. We have a city oops for Citigroup. Late this week, Citigroup confirmed that cyber thieves have gained access to the data from about 210,000 of its bank card customers. City has 21 million North American bank card customers, so that's around 1%. The bank says it is contacting customers whose information was impacted. Impacted. What an interesting word. Would stolen be a bit too clear for the bank's spinmeisters? The story does have some good news, and it suggests that cities' security experts are sufficiently savvy that they don't keep all the data in a single basket. The break-in may have impacted, or stolen, customers' names, account numbers, addresses, and email addresses, but other information that's needed to make use of that impacted, or stolen, information was not impacted. That includes the cardholder's social security number, date of birth, card expiration date, and security code. The city says it discovered the unauthorized access at its online banking service, City Account Online, through routine monitoring. The bank discovered the breach in early May and says that it's taken steps to ensure that the techniques used in this attack cannot be repeated. The fact that the breach was discovered in early May raises the question, why is Citigroup just now getting around to letting its customers know? Hackers can break into almost any network, and Citibank officials have admitted that breaches are simply a fact of life for financial institutions. All banks can do is monitor closely and take action when problems are discovered. In addition to easy targets such as Sony, thieves have even broken into supposedly secure systems such as the one operated by defense contractor Lockheed Martin. And security provider RSA's computer networks were recently attacked, and the data breach there affected RSA's secure ID technology. That's a two-factor authentication system that many large companies use to secure their networks. Now, RSA, a division of EMC, has confirmed that the break-in at Lockheed Martin was made possible by data stolen in the March attack. As a result, RSA says it will replace all of the 40 million secure ID tokens that are being used in government and corporations. The cows, however, have already found the egress in the agricultural storage building. This would be an exciting time to be involved in print media. Between the sheer terror of wondering whether you'll have a job tomorrow and the excitement of dealing with enticing new technologies means that no day will ever be dull. Adobe InDesign has center stage on both sides of that issue. It's an application that allows publishers to maintain the status quo with fewer people but it also makes possible an explosion of options that add value to publications. 
In a perfect world, all publishers would be smart enough to recognize that providing a better product is the better choice. We all know that this isn't a perfect world, though. Adobe's latest version of InDesign makes me wish fervently that I was involved with a forward-thinking, progressive publication. Most print publications have some presence on the Internet, usually a web presence. Progressive designers and editors realize that this new medium frees them from the constraints of paper. Both paper publications and websites have a limited width. But that's where the similarity ends. A web page can be of any length. Cost is not a consideration. An editor or a designer could never approve 100 images for a chapter or for an article in a publication simply because the cost of creating separations, preparing plates, and printing all of those images would be so great. Paper and ink are expensive, so is postage. But 100 images on a web page? They add very little to the production cost and nothing to the distribution cost. So instead of a single static image, the article can now include a slideshow, or video, or audio. Video and audio added to InDesign layouts that are exported to EPUB format create more engaging digital books, and embedded audio and video play on mobile devices that support HTML5. That includes the iPad, by the way, and increasingly most smartphones. It's been more than a decade since I wrote that InDesign was the future of publishing. In that regard, I was exactly right. But I was also wrong. InDesign is becoming an indispensable part of both publishing and the ancillary functions that exist in conjunction with, or instead of, the Dead Trees version of publications. But how do you get there from here? One of the biggest problems print designers have faced in recent years is how to repurpose print work for the various other media. You want to make some or all of your print content available online or via the EPUB format. Easy is not a word that anyone would choose to describe that process, at least until now. Article ordering has always been a problem, and here's what I mean by that. In print, a sidebar article or call-outs or images, captions, tables, all those things, are placed so that they are visually appealing on the page. But when it's time to export the various components of an article to an HTML file for the web or to an EPUB file for an electronic reader, there was no way to control the positioning of those supplemental materials. As a result, a sidebar might appear at the beginning of an article instead of following the section it's related to. So the reader is confused by having what appears to be unrelated information in an important position. Adobe InDesign CS 5.5 has solved that problem by adding a new article panel. Instead of allowing the application to place components in a static order determined by a formula, the designer now has control over when and where a component appears. Many of the new features are somewhat esoteric, the kinds of things that might not seem important to the average computer user, but I can guarantee you that print professionals are all but bouncing off the ceiling because of the new capabilities I've already mentioned. And consider these two additional points. Linked text. Let's say you have some text that is repeated frequently in your 100-page publication, and it's text that changes frequently. You'd prefer to change it just once and have the modifications appear as if by magic throughout the document. Well, Adobe has granted your wish. 
How about cleaner code for HTML, EPUB, and PDF? Until now, InDesign exports set all paragraphs to a standard paragraph tag and then assigned classes to modify them. The results were, well, not to be too blunt, but they weren't too good. You probably wanted that to be cleaned up, too, and Adobe has granted your wish. Those are in addition to the features I've already mentioned here, and in addition to all of the improvements made in InDesign CS5 that I mentioned last year. If you're still stuck on CS3 or CS4, it's time to upgrade. CS3 was a groundbreaking application. CS4 extended InDesign's increasingly powerful feature set. CS5 and CS5.5 take the application where you want to go. Absent without leave, missing in action. Common sense. If seen, please call 555-1212. What's that all about? The National Labor Relations Board says that an Arizona newspaper was justified in firing a reporter who sent the following message on Twitter. August 30th. What? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. No overnight homicide? WTF? You're slacking, Tucson. Is this satire? Yes. Is it irony? Maybe. Is it appropriate for a reporter? No. On the other hand, the National Labor Relations Board is supporting the rights of employees at Hispanics United of Buffalo who were fired after posting uncomplimentary statements about their employer. Now, I may be alone here, but it seems to me that the NLRB was right in both cases. According to Tech Republic, one employee at Hispanics United of Buffalo posted a comment on her Facebook page by a co-worker who complained that other employees did not do enough to help the organization's clients. This was followed by at least five other employees defending themselves and pointing out the excessive workload and poor working conditions. Now, there's a discernible difference, at least to me, between these two situations. As one who has worked as a reporter, I can understand the newspaper's concern about the reporter's comments. That's not to say I've always managed to keep my opinions out of the story. But tweeted comments that seem to encourage homicides, even though clearly satirical, seem out of place for a news reporter. On the other hand, the employees at Hispanics United of Buffalo would seem to be covered by whatever protections are afforded whistleblowers. Tech Republic says, and I quote, The NLRB ruled on the firing, saying it did not violate a provision of the National Labor Relations Act that protects communications by employees as long as they relate to working conditions or employment terms. I will readily admit that I dislike shopping. Driving from store to store wastes time, money, and fuel. So I became an online buyer long before most other people. In the early days, you had to know exactly what you were looking for. With luck, you might find a site with pictures. All that has changed in such fundamental ways that online shopping is now not only easier and faster than in-store shopping, but also better. The last time I bought a camera, for example, I could have gone to a store to touch the camera first, but I didn't. Now, I'm talking about cameras here. 
But this also applies to phones, personal stereo equipment, televisions, digital video recorders, amplifiers, and just about any other electronic device. In fact, just about any other device you can think of. Shoppers have three primary choices for cameras and other electronic devices. Big box stores, camera stores, and online stores. At the big box store, you might find just sealed boxes, but display samples may also be on shelves. Now, the display samples will be chained down so they can't be stolen. The memory card will be absent, so it can't be stolen. No battery will be in the camera, so it can't be stolen. So, big deal, you can pick the camera up. Have a question? (laughs) Good luck. You can read the signs, and you can read the back of the box. That's about it. That's one of the primary reasons that I consider it an illogical waste of time to buy electronic devices in stores that also sell washing machines and refrigerators. You won't find anybody with knowledge of the electronic device. Okay, so I could visit a camera store. There you'll find display models of everything the store sells. They have memory cards and batteries inside, but you'll need to work with a salesperson who will hand the camera to you and watch while you work with it. Trying to compare a dozen or more options this way is frustrating for both you and the salesperson. But at least if you have a question, you can reasonably expect the salesperson to have a knowledgeable answer. As for online, here's what happens. You start with every camera the store sells, and that's probably several hundred models from a dozen manufacturers. Do you want a digital SLR or a point-and-shoot camera? Do you want 7 megapixels or 40 megapixels? Do you care about RAW format? Is your budget in the $100 range or the $30,000 range? Do you prefer cameras from one or two manufacturers? By answering questions such as those, you'll quickly narrow the range down to just a few cameras. And when you've winnowed the list down to perhaps five or six cameras, you can display a chart that shows various criteria, number of pixels, size and type of sensor, shutter speeds, ISO range, size, weight, ability to use an external flash, those kinds of things. Using this kind of chart makes it easy for you to develop your own rating chart, one on which you can assign each of the camera's strengths and weaknesses a numerical value. A device that's clearly better in a category you consider important receives a 5, while a competing device that's deficient in that category receives a score of 1, or 0, or even minus 5. Where a device is clearly better in a category, but the category is one you don't care much about, The score might be 1 or even 0 instead of 5. Finish that analysis and you'll probably have one or two clear leaders. An online store, unlike its real-world counterpart, may then allow you to read the camera's instruction manual and full specifications as provided by the manufacturer. You may find consumer reviews, too. A prime example of this kind of online operation is B&H Photo and Video in New York City. The only problem with the online merchant is the fact that you must then wait two or three days for your purchase to arrive, unless, of course, you're willing to pay a steep overnight shipping fee. But wait, maybe that's not so bad after all. In the old days, I'd take a new camera home, open the box, set the instruction book aside, and start working with the camera. When something didn't work as expected, or it seemed that I was about ready to break something, I would finally open the manual, figure out how to solve the problem at hand, and then set it aside again. Now, after making a purchase while waiting for the device to arrive, 
the buyer can review the instruction manual. When the box arrives, I still open it, set the instruction book aside, if there is one, and start playing with the camera. The difference, though, is that this time I've already read the manual. Given the advantages offered by online shopping, there are only a few products that are still better bought in person. Fresh fruits and vegetables, for example, which may be why online grocery shopping has never really taken off. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.